Eastside Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday. Simpoesi streaming to you from the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. In the background, we are listening to sounds of Sydney Bay's Microfish from their latest album, 107 Residency Highlights. My name is Ira, and I am joined in the studio this morning by artist and poet Renee Pepita, whose creative practice engages with the relational, seeking to make sense of our physical, metaphysical, and emotional interactions with environment and society. In 2022, they have published their first book of poetry, Untitled Notes for Blue, and are currently working on their second book of poetry called Untitled The Unforgetting of Air. And we will be hearing some of the poems from each of these throughout the show, unpack the process of writing each, as well as Renee Pepita's overall working methodologies. Renee, good morning. Thank you for joining us on ESI this morning. Good morning. Wonderful to be here. Thank you. How has your morning been so far and what are your Monday mornings usually like? They're usually pretty hectic, um, but this one's been nice and relaxed, just making my way to Paddington, uh, picking up a tea. So wonderful to be here. And uh, are you a morning kind of person or a night owl or something in between? Definitely. I'm very much a morning person. I have since I was a young teenager, have a ritual of waking up at 3am. In fact, I think there's a a poem which alludes to it. Um, I remember my father once telling me that that's an amazingly special hour because it's the hour where the um, distance between earth and heaven is the thinnest. Um, And so it's often a time for me to uh, think, to write, uh, to plan my day. Um, I often then fall asleep. (laughs) So you have two mornings. (laughs) Two mornings and then get on with the real day. So in order to wake up at 3am and start doing something actually, does that mean that you go to sleep early as well? I tend to, yeah. I tend to be in bed quite early, um, often by nine, unless there's something on, um, which is mostly on the weekends, uh, not during the week. So, mm. uh, And it's not like I need to set the alarm. It just automatically happens. So, How nice. And is this 3am the time of day where the ideas come to you the most when you feel creatively alert? Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um, When I first started on my um, fine arts practice, what I would often find is um, I would have a work that emerged at 3am fully formed. And so what I would then need to do was work back from that in terms of how can I make the work that I feel or I envisage. Um, My writing practice, though, uh, tends to be uh, jotted notes, (laughs) scribbled. Um, It's very hard to uh, sort of get up fully and, and put the light on and, and actually write a full poem. So it's it's much more um, a, a way of reminding myself of those uh, those in-between moments um, mm. and the thoughts that emerge at that time mm. and then they're developed later. Mm. And do any of your words, ideas, inspirations come from dreams? Mm, great question. Um <clears throat> I I like to think that um, dreaming or 
even daydreaming um, is much more of a state of mind that we sort of carry with us. Mm. Um, We often think about it as a particular point in time uh, while we're sleeping. Um, But I do think that uh, that sort of subconsciousness is always happening. And, um, And so being able to tap into that or find ways to tap into that uh, I think is really important. Um, I've always found dreams quite critical, but have I dreamt a poem? Probably not. Mm. <laughs> um, my poetry tends to, in general, um, be triggered much more by, by everyday experiences. So it's observational things that are happening uh, or feelings I'm experiencing or things that I'm seeing throughout the day. Uh, and so, um, yes, but I do think dreams or dreaming um, the work of the subconscious plays an important part mm. you have mentioned jotting down the the notes the scribbles does that mean that you write in a notepad with a pen or are you more of a digital person or do you combine the two it's a great question so um <clears throat> the first ever poetry workshop i i went to i was encouraged to uh write down with pencil and and paper. Uh, that's how I work as an artist. So all of my exhibitions start in a, a unlined notebook um, with a pencil, mm-hmm. <laughs> HB, 2B, whatever I can get my hands on. And so everything that I write is always written by hand first. I found that um, the uh, the flow is different for me on a computer, Um Often then I will do a second edit on paper and then from there move to digital format. Uh, But certainly when you're out and about, I do carry uh, a notebook and a pencil with me. (laughs) But sometimes our fantastic mobile phones are handy. Often I'm taking a picture at the same time Mm -hmm. and I have a list of actually um, on my notes on my phone called Poems I'm Yet to Write. And Mm -hmm. I think it's about 45 long at the moment. So just making sure that I'm uh, not forgetting those things as, mm. as they emerge throughout throughout the day. Mm. You mentioned how the flow is different or feels different on paper as opposed to digital. What do you think that is about? Have you had any deeper thoughts? Because I find that as well, and it's mm. really hard to pin down why that is. So I, I feel like it's um, it's a bodily connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a number of writers who uh, talk about creative writing in particular as performance. Um, mm-hmm. And so if I think about um, sort of an artist performance, um, I am engaging with my body in um, multiple ways. I'm engaging with space. I'm engaging with audience members and others around me. Um, and so to uh, interrupt that with a digital process, sometimes that's intentional. But really, um, for me, it's it's the sort of the relational aspects um, between mind, body, spirit, and and environment and others. And so I find when I when I write. Um, it's it's a performative act. Mm-hmm. So I am um, putting, you know, pencil to paper. Mm-hmm. I am performing the words or the words are performing me mm-hmm. a lot of the time. And so um, it seems to, to work much more effectively mm-hmm. for me. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there is something about tactility and touch and 
um, proximity as well of that medium. And you mentioned how um, your notepad is unlined, <laughs> uh, which is my choice as well. I find the line very, um, uh, I don't know, it just feels very school-like, I suppose. <laughs> uh, what about you? Why do you choose the unlined notepads? So school's one thing. I, I just find it a, a constraint. Um, yeah. And often poets work with constraints, but they, they're constraints in different kinds. So a, a series of languages or, uh, sorry, a series of words or a, a particular motif that they're playing with. Um, <clears throat> so for me, uh, often I'll write unevenly. <laughs> I'll I'll cross things out. I never rub things out. I'll cross things out. I'll write an alternative line above or below. I might draw a sketch along sign. Um, I'm playing with the form of the poem on the page as well. Uh, and so unlined just really helps me to really enter into that completely blank space, the blank page, and make the marks in whatever way I feel that I that I need to and then evolve it from there. Mm. Now that you speak about playing with the form on the page, the first poem that you will read for us is definitely having a particular shape. Um, unfortunately, listeners can't see that, so it will be interesting to see how or to hear how that's translated into sound. Uh, and yes, the first two poems that you will be reading are from the book that you are currently working on. It's still unpublished and it will be titled, untitled, The Unforgetting of E. And we will be hearing chapter one and chapter six from uh, that book, one after the other. But before we go there, um, well, yeah, maybe tell us a bit about this, how you were playing with the form of this first one and why did you structure it in this visually um unusual way maybe mm -hmm. so um i think uh first of all if i just give a minute of context so both of those poems are, are part of 12 poems which were um heavily informed by french philosopher uh lucie uh, book um, the Forgetting of Air by Martin Heidegger. It's one of a series of books that she wrote on the four elements. And in it, um, she really argues for uh, us to remember air and breath mm -hmm. and um, in all of its aspects. And so it was really important for me to not only uh, reference her language and her words, but think about how that might translate visually uh, onto the page. And so uh, for those listening, uh, essentially the words are often use um, hyphenation, they're spread out across the page, there's lots of space in between. And so when you're either reading in your head or you're reading out aloud, they're encouraging you to slow down, yeah, mm -hmm. to be present in the moment, to feel your breath, um, mm -hmm. to feel your connectedness um, to this place that we live, um, to others. And, uh, yeah, so it's quite intentional. Mm. Well, let's hear them. You're on ESED Radio, 89.7 FM. This is 
Arts Monday Sympoesis, and we are reading and talking poetry with Renee Pepita, who will now read two poems from her upcoming book, untitled The Unforgetting of A. Chapter 1 Of what is this is? Ask the question to which the answer is already said. Told. Embedded meaning. Am I the wood? Is it you? Here? Together circle the groundless ground, opening up to where air would give itself. Earth gives of earth, air of air. Diaphanous, translucent, Transparent, transcendence. Of what is this is? A breath, a history. An evocation calling itself into being, beyond nothingness. The Apirian of which they speak, linked by the breath you imbibe. Air is... This is, and in being, is the arch mediation of the world, physical or psychical. Freely offered, this there is, where everything comes to pass, where everything stirs, nearly unhindered, all presence, all relations, infinite openness, that is air. Chapter 6 Space Space took place, place in a gift, gift of life, blood, warmth, air. Air, boundless, uninterrupted, intra-touching. Touching without need of, for, reciprocity. Reciprocity unrelinquished. Reabsorbing borders, borders without where beginning or end, end and beginning sustain each other, other is held within, without, without closeness or openings, openings to homogeneous, impermeable, impermeable of toing, froing. Throwing, always the return, return in relation to her, her to herself, herself to universe, universe becoming space, space.
Isid Radio 89.7 FM. We are reading and talking poetry with Renee Pepita. Renee, in these uh, two poems that you have read for us, they are titled as chapters. I'm curious why this choice chapter often implies there might be a narrative of a sort, an involving story. Yeah, so they actually reflect uh, Luz Irigaray's uh, chapters of the book that I mentioned earlier, um, The Forgetting of Air in, in Martin Heidegger that she wrote. Um, it's really interesting because uh, this is a book that I picked up at Glee Books, local bookstore in the West, and carried around with me for several years. I kept on reading it, but I was unable to fully comprehend or understand it. And uh, this year, as part of a, a project, I decided to uh, develop the work um, into a series of poems, um, or my obsession with the work into a series of poems. Um, Maggie Nelson talks about about sort of you know being haunted by an author or a writer, and I felt that's very much what had been happening to me. Uh, and so essentially, um, they were meant to be a response to Irigaray's work, but what instead happened was that I um, developed each of the pieces as a sort of redaction or a response to each of her chapters in the book. And her language is beautiful. Uh, and so it was about reusing that language in a way uh, to tell each of the chapters, um, the sort of, or try and not tell because it's not a, a narrative story in and of itself, but capture uh, some of the themes and the feelings from each of of Irigaray's chapters, and uh, and so simply it's a it's a nod to each of the chapters of that book. In the first one that we've heard, which is chapter one, there is a line or a couple of lines where you pose a question: "Am I the author? Is it you?" Given the title of the overall book being The Unforgetting of Air, I'm wondering how is this evocation of authorship linked or tied to the idea of air, if it is? Hmm. So the intent was to include the reader very much in the work uh, in the first instance. And it's very much a theme that I approach in my arts practice as well. So I'm really interested in the blurring of the boundaries between the author and reader, Mm. between the artist and the audience, um, particularly in terms of unpacking the power relations between those two things. So on the one hand, um, there is no authorship of words without reader. Um, and but it's a double-layered meaning in this instance because I'm also playing with the actual words or language of the original author. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's layering that appropriation but also inviting the reader to become part of that conversation. Mm. Now that you speak about the reader, I wanted to ask you about the way you go with editing the poems. So once you have this 
you know, you spoke about first draft on, on paper and then you edit it yourself and then you transfer it to the digital, to computer. When in this process do you maybe show it to someone else to have a read, to give you a sense whether the pauses that you were intending are actually taken at those moment or you have to go and change it? Yeah. Yeah, so working with an with an editor is is really critical. Um, I haven't uh, confirmed an editor for for this work. This is just one part of what will eventually become a, a four part uh, book of poetry. But I was lucky enough because I was able to hand in a number of these as an assessment uh, at university where I'm studying a master's in creative writing. An amazing uh, writer, uh, Vanessa Berry, was my lecturer, and she gave me feedback mm-hmm. on the work, which was fantastic. Uh, so, but yes, working with an editor really closely, uh, encouraging them to understand the intent behind the work, uh, and bringing them on that journey with you so that collaboratively together you create a work that is going to hold up ultimately, um, in a publishing sense and, and for an audience is, is really important. And Tug Dumley, um, who's an amazing, uh, Sydney based poet, uh, performance poet, uh, worked with me quite closely on my first book in 2022, um, Notes for Blue. So it was great to have him along that journey and be part of that process. Mm. What makes a good editor in your view? What are those crucial ingredients that an editor should have? Being fearless, (laughs) number one. So it's really important for them to be able to uh, come to the work in a really honest way and be able to uh, be fearless in their feedback, Mm. uh, number one. Number two is to um, also uh, be able to uh, negotiate, I guess, (laughs) with the poet. So there were times when I'd been given feedback to do X, Y and Z um, and uh, great feedback, but I think it's... If it's an intent, um, so for example, in Notes for Blue, all of the works, all of the poetry um, is quite short and sharp and uh, the words often are on a single line of their own or they're um, short form. And uh, I had some feedback through the editing process that it made it difficult to read um, and that was intentional. I wanted the reader to feel uncomfortable and have mm-hmm. to work mm. to uh, obtain the poem and the meaning of the poem mm. and so and so at that point then there's the conversation uh, what's the intent of, of the writer and uh, how far do you make adjustments for the reader or for printing mm-hmm. or for you know um, other other you know, other dimensions so so that conversation is is really important um so they would i say be the the two key aspects Mm. let's hear some of the poems from untitled notes for blue you're on isa radio 89.7 fm the pool Blue sunlight pushes out from my fingertips. 
as if they are distributing the universe. Quiet, cobalt pulses. Shadows emerge, then turn into other bodies, sliding by. Together we re-wait the morning, drop by drop, lap by lap. Amphibians, restless for the blue. My dog, black, my shadow that reaches into my spirit, anticipating the rhythm of the day, the size and shape of my emotions. Quiet, my shadow, stretched out on my bed, as another morning forms, you wait for me. Ears attuned to the moments of leaving and arriving. Where will I go without you, my shadow? Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday Simpoesis. My name is Ira and I'm joined in the studio this morning by artist and poet Renee Pepita and we are reading the selection of their poetry. And I just played uh, shortly, and we'll hear more from them in the background, the uh, Miao, who are a Sydney-based band and uh, are today's guest often performs poetry at their live gigs, so this is why they're the choice 
for this morning. Also, the couple of poems that you have just heard are from Renee Pepita's Untitled Notes for Blue, which we are giving a couple of this morning. If you call 9331-3000, you can win a copy of this book of poetry. Renee, you have mentioned when we were reading the first two poems from your upcoming The Unforgetting of Air, how you were haunted by an author. Um, and I have recently read uh, an essay where a writer speaks about the mental diet that we intake as creative. So not the food kind of diet, but the content that we take in ourselves, be it books or films or dance or performances or music. So I'm curious what your mental diet is beside reading. Music plays a very large part of my mental diet. Uh, so I think some of my earliest poems I was trying to make them lyrics as a young teenager <laughs> bit of a, a failed effort there um, but definitely music has been uh, a continuous theme uh, in my life my grandmother was a opera singer uh, music was a very big part of our household and uh, it's been something that has continued to inspire me uh, my whole life the other thing which is a really important part of my diet is is art, the arts, uh, the mm -hmm. visual arts. So uh, not only do I have my arts practice, but um, so my original degree was in in art history, and mm -hmm. I was all set on becoming an amazing art historian. Uh, but I've had the opportunity uh, to uh, travel the world, see a number of biennales. Um, be heavily involved in the art scene here in, in Sydney and I find that incredibly inspiring. Um, so particularly artists who are working much more on on the sort of fringes of what we might consider much more traditional um, visual arts, I think that conversation is, is really important. Uh, I was recently uh, talking to an amazing author, and when Crawford, whose uh, eulogy, No Document, was published last year and was a shortlisted winner for the Stella Prize because she also has an arts practice. Mm. So I'm curious about the sort of blending of those of those two uh, creative practices. Um, though we were uh, laughing a little bit at the labels people like to give us yeah. because I think being a creative person, you tend to work in uh, often in multiple mediums uh, depending on on the situation you find it yourself in so art is is a very big is is a very big inspiration um i think the other thing is and you talked a little bit about it uh, at the start there is uh, on the one hand this sort of philosophical thought which i engage with sort of relational ontology or relational aesthetics but it's much more about how we approach our world. Um, and so really that's about a sort of prioritising of not objects or individuals, but the relation between those two things. And so it changes your perspective um, on the world, uh, how you relate to plants, how you relate to 
oceans, how you relate to others. And so uh, I think making sure that I am, um, yeah, being, I guess, uh, present in that way is a, is an ongoing inspiration uh, for me and a lot of, a lot of my writing. But um, I do have to uh, send a call out to my um, who, my dad. Um, he was, from a young child, he was the person who dragged me off to the local bookstore at mm. least once a week um, to encourage me to purchase a book. So mm. uh, reading is absolutely uh, a fundamental part of, of who mm. I am. There was an author actually in this year's uh, Sydney Writers Festival who and I'm trying to find this note because I had it written but I can't find it right now um, but she was speaking about writing being 90% reading <laughs> absolutely yeah. and I think uh, you know immersing yourself in reading reading out aloud um, you know reading books that you would never expect to normally read uh, can uh, open you to all sorts of ideas and places and mm. um, I think that's an amazing experience mm. however you also touched on something quite interesting there just before when you spoke about ocean it made me think in plants I asked the question of what you take in but then the equal part of creative process is emptying yourself from the intake and going and you know, staring at the horizon. Um, so you could empty your head in order to create space for the ideas to emerge. And at the beginning, when we spoke about dreams, you spoke about this subconscious space, which is really cultivated through stillness and silence. Although when I say stillness, that could also be cultivated through walking. Many artists and many writers especially speak about the importance of walking in their practice are you a walker? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I'd love to say I'm a runner, but um, I haven't been running for the last six months. Uh, <clears throat> the dog who was in my poem is a Kelpie, very active, though he's getting slightly older now um, and loves to run. I'm definitely a walker. Uh, so I really think that uh, that motion is really critical and um, I'm also a swimmer, so hence the mm -hmm. pool. And often what I'm doing when I'm swimming is I'm just counting the laps. And so there's this real um, meditative quality that emerges uh, during a swim, which is similar to a walk. Uh, though having a noisy Kelpie sometimes demanding his Frisbee is <laughs> slightly distracting. But it's really important. And during those moments as well, not so much swimming, but during the walking moments, it's observing and just being present in, in the world. Um, it might be raining, it might be sunny, it doesn't matter, it's being present. Mm. You have also touched on the other art forms that you are engaged with um, and that made me think about PJ Harvey who is another artist who is engaged in multiple art forms and has recently published, um, well, probably she's published a few uh, books of poetry, but there was a recent one, and I listened to an interview with her, and she said that when she gets stuck with writing a poem, so when she encounters a block, she switches to drawing it as a way to crystallize what she's trying to say with it, or she plays a piano to play the feeling, 
And through using these other mediums, she unblocks the words for the poem. I know that you also have embodied practice and movement. Do you relate to what PJ Harvey is saying? Yeah, it's great. Um, I think when I'm in a creative process, be that in my arts practice or my writing practice, it's it's less for me about switching practices and more about uh, understanding that that blocked moment, that that moment where you feel stuck or you hate hate everything that you've written or that you've created is actually a real integral integral part of the process. Mm. And so uh, holding that gently, holding yourself gently in those moments and understanding that if you work through that, whatever the work through that is. And obviously for PJ Harvey, it's it's switching mediums. But for other people, it might be other mm. types of activity. Um, that's really critical because what emerges post that is the more formed uh, fruition of your effort. And so I've just learned it's it's an integral part of, of the creative process. There will always be a moment at which you are stuck. Uh, there will always be a moment at which the answer or the next step is unclear. Mm. And that's a gift, yeah? In mm. my mind, that is a gift. It's, it's not something to be sort of fought against or... or um, yeah, dismissed. Uh, it's it's then using whatever works for you to to move through that to the next phase. Mm. Even if it's just sitting with it for a while, absolutely discomfort. <laughs> the next poem we will hear is titled "I Could Survive on That Alone," and this one is also yet to be published. Is this going to be a part of the Unforgetting Affair? Not sure yet. Okay. <laughs> Anything you would like to say about it before we hear it or should we hear it first and then unpack? How about I read first and then I can talk a little bit about it. Issa Radio 89.7 FM, Renee Pepita reading her poetry for us. I could survive on death alone. The shape of the place from where you came rises as a chorus. You sung me to being, body from body. Tracking to unseen rhythm, humming to a swallowing out tide, known from afar, leapt towards breath co-joined to the flailing throes of existence. Anubis waits for the wailing to rise and fall. Here at the precipice seeps the truth of you, of me. I have died more times alive than at this moment of passing.
I'd love to talk uh, to you about your relationship to titling the poems. This one has a very strong title in a way. It's almost difficult not to frame it in the way that is offered by the title. And yet many of your other works start with the untitled and then a title in brackets. So how did the choice for this titling, for this particular one, come about? So I was, uh, this poem was written uh, initially and then reworked as part of a, a workshop that I recently attended with the fantastic First Nations poet, uh, Jazz Money. Um, and there were a number of exercises she took us through, and one of them was to start with a quote. Mm-hmm. And so I could survive on death alone is actually a quote from another poet. And so we were invited to start with that, sit with that, and um, a quote of our own choice, obviously, and and then write from there. And so uh, it's a nod mm. uh, to the inspiration for the poem. It, it could potentially have been untitled, and I would add a, a footnote to acknowledge the quote, um, but it felt like it wanted to stay at the top of the page. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, so that's, that's where it is. And what about the choice to leave some of your works untitled, but that yet offer a semi-title in the brackets? Yeah, so it's a, it's a practice that I started, I, I stole from the great Felix Gonzalez Torres, mm-hmm. uh, who's an amazing was an amazing artist, um, unfortunately had a very short career, but a, a really incredible body of work. Uh, and I'm not 100% sure if I would do justice to his rationale for it, but there was something that really resonated with me about the importance of leaving space. Um, So often titling of work uh, signifies authorship. It signifies a pointing to something, sometimes a moment or uh, a a series of words or a theme. And, And that pointing, I think, constrains the reader's ability or in the case of visual art the viewer's ability to enter into the work from the place at which they come Mm. and experience the things that they need to experience or understand the things that they need to understand and so it's about an uplifting for me anyway it's about an uplifting and a heightening of that uh co-joined role Mm -hmm. um in creation and trying, not always, but um, at times to to leave that space. Mm. Which speaks back to what we were talking about in the beginning of co-authorship between you and the reader. You also um, nicely touched on one of the other questions that I had um, when you spoke about the prompt that was given to you from Jasmani in this case as a way to start the poem. So 
I was curious, you know, how much of a discipline then there is in the process of writing. I guess there is this conception out there, and I certainly had it many years ago, that, you know, the, the writers write only when the muse hits and they sit down at their desk and, the, you know, the text just flows out. But then when I was reading or listening about processes of many writers, it's really a job. It's a discipline. Some of them set up alarm, wake up same day every day, make coffee, have their ritual of some sort, create a space in which to write. And they repeat that as a routine from day to day, maybe, you know, or have breaks like the others have in their day jobs. But is the discipline something that you also work with in your practice or are you more sporadic than th that? And what are some of the rituals that you create around being able to write and creating space that is conducive for inspiration or for productivity at times? So my practice has really evolved over time and that's exciting uh, for me because these things are never linear um, so certainly Notes for Blue were much more in intuitive. So uh, a lot of the poems were written during lockdown. I couldn't get to my studio to do my arts practice because it was oddly enough considered a place of work. Mm. Uh, and so I really needed an alternative creative outlet that was immediate and present and not constrained by everything that was constraining our society at those times. Uh, and so it those poems in particular were were much more in, intuitive. They were poems that that came that I sat down and wrote at, at different times. Since then, my practice has evolved uh, and um, yes, of course there's there's things that you learn in terms of how to find inspiration or how to, uh, rework things or uh, how to bring a collect a collection of works together um, and everyone has slightly different ways of approaching that and there's hundreds of books um, that that are written about it I do think though there's this uh, I heard this interview from um, Evelyn Ireland who who wrote Drop Bear, which is Stella Prize, uh, again, another amazing First Nations uh, poet. And in the interview, she said, um, I still, uh, something along the lines of, nobody ever told me how to write a poem. Mm -hmm. I'm still trying to understand that. Mm -hmm. And I do think that that's absolutely true and, and resonates. So you can learn uh, aspects of the craft and the practice, but how to write a poem um, that's a mystery. And for me, I think that's that's good. In fact, I recently wrote a poem and I realised in writing it that uh, it wasn't so much that I was writing the poem, that the poem was writing me. And so, um, yes, there is a craft, there's things that help you uh, hone your practice, but ultimately um, there's the unknown I'm happy with that. 
Iset Radio 89.7 FM, as Monday Simpoesis with artist and poet Rene Pepita reading and talking poetry with us this morning. We will have a short music break to take a breath of air, uh, which has been a theme as well of this show. And I will play another track from Miao, Sydney-based band who last year released their debut album Emerald and Miao is Nick Hatley on bass, Bon King on drums and Penny McBride on trumpet. You are on ESA Radio 89.7 FM. Said Radio 89.7 FM, Arts Monday, Simpoesi, streaming to you from the Gerigoland of the Eora Nation. 
My guest on the show today is artist and poet Renee Pepita, and we are reading a selection of their poetry from 2022 book titled Untitled Notes for Blue, and uh, they will soon be publishing the second of their poetry books, which will be called Untitled The Unforgetting of E. Renee we will hear two more poems of yours this morning. One of them is untitled, uh, without a title in any brackets. And then the other one is on lightness. These are also the newly written poems that may or may not appear in the coming book. Anything you would like to tell us about these two? So the first one is really uh, continues to explore a lot of the themes of air, breath, femininity. So I think it's an ongoing theme or concern which I'm carrying with me and it's emerging in different ways. I I read um, a little while ago the, the Fabric of the Cosmos by Brian Green. And he talks about the Higgs-Boston particle or the Higgs ocean, which is this fantastic, amazing space which they've all place um, in the universe. Uh, he's um, a physicist. And so there's this wonderful uh, draw. Uh, I'm drawn to thinking not just about our place on this earth, but our place more broadly within you know, the galaxy. Mm. Speaking about place, what is an ideal place for writing poem for you? Do you set up a place in a particular way in order to feel, I guess, simply good in it so you could write? So I have a, I have a desk in my bedroom. Um, I live in an old shop, so it's right on the street. And there's something about the noise uh, for those in the inner west, the planes going over overhead, <laughs> the garbage trucks, the people walking their dogs, the way all of that uh, seeps into into my room. That's really important. Um, I was recently lucky enough to perform with Meow at Newcastle Jazz Festival on Friday night um, and I ended up staying in Newcastle for two days and I was staying in this hotel room and I dragged the desk <laughs> right across the room and put it next to the window so I could sit and write uh, for the time that I wasn't performing. Uh, so just a desk adjacent to a window with sound is is pretty much all I need. Mm. Let's hear the next two poems from Renee Pepita here on Eastside Radio 89.7 FM. Untitled. She inhaled and the world waited. Breath. Breathe. Come into the void beginning, begun, slide across the human map of eternity, glisten, glide, 
Fist each opening with intention. Sip. Suck. Can this be a beginning? Or is that too much to ask? She exhaled and we fell into Higgs Ocean. On lightness, tripped into your mouth, lapping tongue-tipped whispers, smothered moments, descend silent, gathered close, flung forever. Etched evening opens beyond, fingers trace angelic fluctuations, levitating below vibrating canopy. Milky strewn insomniatic waking. Particle drifts held aloft. Gentle lilting sunlight shivers. Softly held humming irons. Thrumming dipped millennium present. Blinking eyelidded shutters. Dusk grey seconds closely elongate. Sketch memories gently held. Muted flugel notes dissolve. We are reading and talking poetry this morning on Isa Radio with Rene Pepita. Last 10 to 15 minutes of today's Arts Monday Sympoesis. Rene, I am curious what draws you to poetry as opposed to fiction or prose. And maybe to reframe the question in a sense of what does poetry offer? that maybe prose does not, in your opinion? 
For me, poetry, there is a, a space within it. Fiction or non-fiction takes the reader on a particular kind of, of journey uh, to inform, entertain, engage, etc. Uh, for me, poetry is almost like another species of writing. Mm. <laughs> um, it can draw very successfully on those other types of writing practices or writing styles, but there is something fundamentally different about it. There's this uh, great quote from Audrey Lord, um, which in which they talk about poetry as illumination. Uh, and often I think it's for me, it's similar to an experience you might have when you're potentially looking at a work of art or you're in a beautiful forest or um, mm. you're uh, experiencing a, a particular type of experience. Um, it's it's less about the words, um, though the words are really important, and more about how it makes you feel. And for me, uh, yeah, it's pretty much the only thing that I want to write. I've, I've tried other forms, mm. um, but there is a, yeah, a, a, an otherness about poetry. Mm. Speaking about feeling, another question I had is, especially given that you're also someone who has a practice in movement and embodied practices. I'm curious how important is it for you to engage the reader on a haptic level, meaning the physical level, to feel the poem through the skin almost rather than cognition, because in some way that is a potential of poetry to engage the body. Yeah, very much. I love that way of thinking about it. Um so uh, when you're reading a poem or being read to, uh, there is a moment in which you become aware of yourself. Um, and I think uh, poetry has this amazing ability to be able to, um, how do I say, um, enliven senses, the physical senses of our body in in a very real way. And uh, it's important, important that we are present and that our, our bodies, we feel present in our bodies. Um, I think a an embodied practice is... Uh, about, um, you know, it's interesting for me because I know that I spend too much time in my head and so for me it's a way of of forcing myself back into my body and allowing the 
understanding of the thinking to happen in a different place. Yeah, mm. it's and so um, I do think that poetry, because it vibrates, it sounds very metaphysical, but because it vibrates on a different level, it happens in a different place. Mm. We don't intellectually always understand the poem, but we might feel it uh, in our bodies, and and that's um, yeah, as I said, part of the mystery. Mm. And the space that you were speaking about, which is again connected to that space for breathing, for our own interpretation, the air itself. You have been listening to Arts Monday Sympoesis here on Eastside 89.7 FM. My guest on the show today was artist and poet Renee Pepita, reading some of their poetry and discussing the process and methodologies behind crafting them. If you have missed our conversation or parts of it or would like to listen back, you can head to eastsidefm.org slash artsmonday. That's eastsidefm.org slash artsmonday. For more about Renee Pepita's poetry, you can head to pepitapoetry.com or find them on Instagram at pepitapoetry. Their last book of poetry, Untitled Notes for Blue, is available at the selected bookstores and keep an eye out for their second book of poetry, which will come under the name Untitled, The Unforgetting of E. Coming up next here on Eastside FM is Pino Scuro with Syncopatico and I'll be with you in two weeks' time. Until then, I'm leaving you with a track from Sydney-based Heka, who are Novak Manojlovic, Jacques Emery and... Tully Ryan. This is track from their very recently released album. I think it was released maybe a month ago, and it's titled Everywhere I Go, My Body Goes With Me. Mm-hmm.